0: Welcome to the Insightful Startup Podcast, a podcast to accompany the book The Insightful Startup. In each episode, I talk to people who have been inspirations for the book, and through these conversations, you'll get additional perspectives on the most important concept of the specific chapters, and here I supply them to startup examples not mentioned. The book can be bought as print, e- or audiobook on the InsightfulStartup.com. Christian Lund is the co-founder and former CEO of Templify. Templify is the leading document management solution for enterprises. Christian and his team has raised more than 120 million USD from global VCs. But more importantly in this context, Templify is one of the startups that is mentioned in this book. And my first conversation with Christian and his co-founder Hendrik is used as an example of founders having original insight. And today Christian is part of our all-star team of alum founders who help and mentor our portfolio companies. Today, we discuss chapter 7 in the book. The chapter is called Scaling Original Insight. And in this chapter, I talk about how Original Insight is not just important for initial product market fit, but also important when scaling a company, because growth requires a startup to expand into new subsegments. Christian, my first conversation with you and your co-founder, Henrik, back in 2013, is one of the clearest examples of Original Insight. But original insight is a term that I coined in the book. So naturally, you yourself didn't think about that in in those terms. So how did you think about what you knew at the time around especially brand managers and document management in enterprises?
1: Well, first of all, very happy to hear that that was your, you know, what you got from that conversation originally. Um, You're right, we didn't think of it in that coined ways. Back then, it was more, I think, maybe domain insight was what we knew was very important going into this. It was what we discussed as well with VCs and so on. But that was, as well, also looking at this and hearing uh, some of the feedback from you, definitely uh, too broad a term to get close to this. So I think you're absolutely right. Some of that very deep understanding of what our customers actually wanted and maybe our I would say a little bit unknown ability to think about what was important for the customer and not so important for us to sell was one of the things that looking back now, I think we, we actually did quite well.
0: But I also think that you, you mentioned here domain insight, and I think domain insight is also very much about what is true for the customer today. But what I found with you is that you also had this glimpse of foresight. You also knew what was going to happen to the customer into the future actually, one of your slides actually has a development of what your situation for your customer is going to be like in nine or 10 years. And I mentioned that in the book. So I think that's one of the crucial distinctions between just having domain insight, understanding something, then having such a deep insight that you sort of understand it into the future. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about your, your that dimension of your understanding.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right, because we uh, we did have a lot of classic domain insight at the time, because we'd been around the market that we were in for a long, long time and picked up a lot of knowledge from being there. But we were definitely looking into, as well, those potential movements that were going to happen. How is this going to change? And we definitely took that approach with Templify from the get-go, not trying to build something that was just a little bit better and iterate over what was there already or build a faster horse, if you will, like we saw others do, but really trying to look at if there's a change going on around us. And for us, that was very much the cloudification at the time that was really, really happening for enterprise. How is that gonna affect how the customers we knew so well will work without them necessarily knowing and trying to not only understand what's important for them, but also try to get a stand at What what's that gonna look? What this gonna look like? That maybe they don't know at this time, but we can influence and potentially know a little bit ahead of time, to also, um, you know, uh, be able to advise our customers in the right in the right direction, even with the technologies that we were building. And that I think is one of the crucial distinctions of original insight is when you get to
0: a level of understanding that even exceeds your customer. Because typically when you ask your customer, what is your problem? And I mean, they think about my problem today. So they wouldn't have been able to come up with Templify because they wouldn't actually need Simplify until maybe a few years down the road. Um, but how do you actually obtain that kind of foresight? And I know that's not an easy question. But, but I think when I often speak to founders who have domain insight, they have a really good understanding of the situation today and they're trying to solve some kind of existing problem. And it's almost like that their domain insight makes it difficult for them to actually gain original insight sometimes or foresight because it requires you stepping a bit back and looking at the broader picture. So sometimes you can almost be too much of a domain expert because you just understand what's going on today. How did you sort of obtain that a little bit of a stance and be able to look at your customers from a distance?
1: Yeah, before I get to um, so how we got there, I first want to maybe speak to. I think you're absolutely right, and um, um, one of the problems about, I would say, the insights you get from domain is also that's what you're trained for to analyze things as is, what has happened in the past, what is the data that we've been able to look at, all the knowledge you can you can bring up. That's how you're trained in schools, typically to understand how to develop potentially a market, always looking back. And I think what you need to add to that mix, which is difficult for most, is the part where you definitely do that because you have to bring that in as part of your mix, but then try to look at as well, if these other things are now happening like this around us, how is that going to affect that? How will things change? And how are we going to differentiate in that new world that is coming up? Which is just dramatically different. So there's a big difference between optimizing um, a current as is to make it a little bit better. You can definitely do that, and lots of businesses are doing that well. And I would even say, as you you know get into move out of the startup phase and into building like a a business a little bit further down the road, you definitely still have to be able to iterate. But that's where it becomes important that you don't necessarily have to invent so much. But on the early stages, if you don't see that change or movement or things that are really dramatically changing and can influence that and really take that what is also called like thought leadership approach to this where you guide your customers about how things are going to change and put some validation underneath it. It's going to be difficult for you to get a stand that would I think really gain some traction and you can build a a significant company around. And I think one of the things that you had
0: would also which I think is also a facet of original insight is you had some idea about timing because you can always, I mean, it's pretty easy to predict the future, right? In the future, we're all going to be governed by AI. We'll have self-driving cars and, and, and the planet will overheat. But in order to build a product that actually meets product market fit within some kind of runway, right? That requires you to have certain ideas of timing. And I know that we spoke before that maybe you were a little bit too optimistic on the timing, but it was still materialized within your runway or you wouldn't be here today. But I've seen a ton of startups who built for some kind of uncertain future that never materialized within their runway. Uh, So I think that's one of the things that you really uh, managed to do well. And I'm not sure how much of it was luck and how much was, of course, there's always a a lot of luck involved in startups. But how did you sort of estimate the timing, because you already saw ripples of these changes
1: right now, uh, didn't you? Yes. Uh, and um, I would say the balance is as well, if you get too much into only looking at change, and this will be the future, you get like almost too futuristic in your approach, it's also going to be difficult to, um, um, to get off the ground essentially, because you will need to have adopters that follow you and believe it's right and if you go too far that's going to be super difficult. So I think we did, you know, strike a pretty good balance between those uh, areas of really sticking at also I would say acknowledging. Customers know what they know today. There's a limit to how far you can take them. So you might know and Henry and I discussed that and with the rest of our with the rest of the group a lot about where this is going, but we did not necessarily put it all out on our customers. So we would we knew that we had to kind of stretch them, maybe 25 30% out of where they were today uh, compared to the 100% we knew because there was a balance in in doing that right. And timing was a big part of that in terms of how much can you really how much can you push because you're you're kind of um uh, you require that timing to really follow with you. And we had some very strong timers um you know uh, You know, big transitions going on with cloud, with, uh, you know, bring your own device and other things that were definitely driving this. And that helped us very much, like, get into these conversations where customers knew that something was going to happen and we could kind of guide them to the direction. But we were very aware of not taking it too far and being close to where they were today, but still stretching and lining up the whole roadmap for the product in a direction that we knew it had to take out of our understanding of where the world would go.
0: So that also requires you to have a good understanding of who would be the early adopters, what I also like to call the beachhead. But beyond the beachhead, keep expanding for that, right? Because yes, all the enterprises will at some point need a cloud-based document management system, but they won't all require that or need that today. Some will require it or need it before others. So you really have to good feel about that and have some parameters in the way that you define your customer segment, chop it up. can you speak a little bit about that? Uh, how did you sort of identify the companies that would need it now and and sort of how did you plan for that transition of customers into that funnel?
1: Yeah, actually maybe quite interesting because where most of the people we discussed back then and and we you know we were using for advice we're saying we think you need to go like uh, on the smaller more secure local type of customers that you're close to that you can move with and, and and so on and we ended up doing the exact opposite very deliberately because we knew that for us to figure out if this was the right direction we needed to go as high up as we could so we essentially tried to locate you know, the companies in the world that were most reliant on uh, the productivity and quality that went into business documents of all, where business document was essentially what they would deliver to their customers and try to figure out who are they. And then within those companies, try to get as high up as possible on a strategic level to really discuss this. And the, the way to do that and what you have to do there to get on the strategic agenda is to really come with something that is a true movement. If you don't do this, you're left on the station. So it's less about identifying a problem you have right now that you want to solve for. That's much further down in that chain, and it's a person who's having a problem right now that they maybe need to solve. If you want to get on a strategic level, it has to be like something bigger, has to be a movement, and there has to be like significant consequences, both in a negative and positive direction, if you don't do it. Others will do this, and you're left on the station if you don't. And that's kind of uh, exactly what we did. So we tried to get on that agenda and really start those very early conversations, actually, with those, um, I would say, um, most advanced companies that we knew had to really think and invest around these things and try to get uh, into discussions with those. And those were literally some of the biggest global companies in the world. Uh, and we continue to have them as customers today. And it was only later where we started to say, we use that to say, well, This is the proof that there's a movement. These folks are doing it. You know, if you don't want to get left on the station and you want to be like them, this is what you need to do as well. So we kind of went a little bit the other way around and actually very deliberately because we saw this big delta, if you will, that was uh, just lining up for us.
0: I think that also speaks to a new facet, maybe, which I don't really describe that well in the book, uh, I must admit, but that original insight is not just about the problem and the customer and the psychology of the customer, but also around the movement that you're saying, right? Because you really need to understand that movement better than the company, that your potential customer, and you need to be able to explain to them how that movement affects their business, and you need to do it in a way that, that is believable, right? And that means that you need to put your... Yourself in a position of expertise, you need to be a true like expert in this field. So, how can a startup founder, and how did you, as a startup founder, position yourself as an as a true expert and as an authority
1: that they believed in, uh, knew something about the movement that they were uh, about to face? Yeah, it's. Um, I think for us, it's probably one of the things that came natural. is also what you point to here that maybe we didn't call it original insight at the time because it it came quite natural for us. It was um, something that to some extent we had. But looking back at it, back at it um, I think we started up really considering just simple things like, you know, the best products are bought and not sold. And it sounds so simple in this way, but we really started to think about If this is going to be relevant in this new direction that we're thinking about, we need to kind of really flip things around and consider in this future world where this buyer that I'm speaking to now need to be in a position where if they don't get what they need, they're not going to buy my product. So there's a combination between like this classic, I would say, sales methodology where you try to really try to be truly centric towards what the buyer or uh, the customer on the other side is trying to achieve. And then you blend that with how, you know, the world is moving towards what they might not know right now. So it's, that's, a you know, it's not a simple thing to do. It's uh, at the end of the day, I think it's really about building that trust that you can position yourself, as you say, in the way where you uh, explain this is where the world is today. These are the things and the moving parts around us that will definitely change these things, so the world will get to this point. We have this type of validation at this point of uh, at this point in time from these customers or other things happening around us or analysts or whatever it can be that kind of help explain that. And in that new scenario, these are the things that are typically going to be the value drivers for people like you that you should really have a consideration around. So the world is moving, but you're also uh, looking to to get to a place where there's a new thing. Ultimately, we're all in, in, in here for, for selling products, but making sure that that is, uh, that is something that gets very clear, what is the reason why I would look at this, I understand the movement, what is it that I require to buy in a future state? Yeah,
0: I, and I think it's such an important facet of original insight. It's definitely the whole understanding the movement, because most Great startups, they would have happened anyway. Like Simplify, probably would have happened anyway. It just would have been another company because this transition would happen, right? It's it, it, partly, of course, you as a startup can affect the adoption and the specific product that fulfills that need, but ultimately, enterprises would move on the cloud. They would handle their documents online. So it's it's not something that that you created. You understood this wave much better than most other people.
1: I think you're you're absolutely to the point there, and that's also how you want to position it. And again, it's not about you positioning yourself to a place where you know I'm now the best to do it. It's more taking it above that, where this will happen regardless for these reasons. If you believe in that out of these uh, uh, parameters that I've now given you, that that is a change that will happen, then of course you would need to figure out which way to solve it and you could start looking into if that is the new world, what is then required to solve that? The future state will look like this, the outcomes that companies are going to look for is like this, what is required to get there? And still you're kind of not speaking about yourself. These are just the, the requirements that you'll have to look into. So really staging yourself above your own product to that level where you're just explaining, regardless of us, this will happen. And when you start asking for solutions for this, ask these questions because otherwise you can't win. That's kind of a thought leadership way of positioning yourself and then of course it's easier to put yourself into the mix and say for that reason this is exactly why we built this product to be prepared for this future so as you take these steps we're probably a good company for you to look at but we are actually trying to go a little bit above that and invite also competition in which by the way can be quite important when you're introducing something completely new it's also not easy to be alone so you would rather have others join the party if you will and then just guide your customers to say, well, these are the types of questions that you want to ask if you want to win in this future state that you're looking at. And of course, you would be one out of many competitors and hopefully <laughs> the better one. But since you're the one setting up the criteria, often oftentimes you have a good chance of, of winning some of that too, not the least uh, from the trust perspective of the customers. I think it's a really interesting point that you're
0: making, which sort of leads me to think that one way to evaluate whether a startup is basically operating within the right timing space based on original insight is whether you would want competitors or whether you would not want competitors. Because if you don't want competitors, it's because it's an existing category and people are fighting over the existing spend. Where if you actually want competitors, it's because you need others to help educate and push the movement that you will all benefit from and the pie grows exponentially, right?
1: Yeah, there is no such thing as a category of one. You know, you have category winners, but that's a different uh, that's a different thing. Like when you build out something, you want others, not the least for the um, uh, the purpose of of saying you're not the only one saying this. Others agree to this, uh, so you definitely, in my opinion, want to invite competition in and take the high road. Uh, really, on that approach with this, because you also become a thought leader in terms of how they're optimizing their things. And I think we've honestly also seen a lot of that with Templify that we've very much been direction setters and we've seen a lot of other competitors that have followed uh, a lot of the stuff that we've been doing, which is great because some also fit into different market segments to uh, different deeper industries. But we all help each other to like a greater course of creating a new category uh, ultimately. Talking about news market segments, it's
0: definitely something I want to return to because it is sort of the idea of the chapter, how do you use original insight and expand that to keep growing into new segments. But before that, I'm still a little bit curious around the whole um, the whole initial here, the, the whole initial original insight, because if you position and talk about your uh, product as something that is going to help them take advantage of a future movement, how do you at the same time create enough Sense of urgency to try it right now because it sort of also makes it yeah that's really interesting. We'll, we, we 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 what you're talking about is really great. Let's we'll have a strategy meeting next year and and we'll think about this. How do at the same time create the urgency to start right now?
1: That's a great question because it's a, there is always like a a, a why. And a why now, definitely. And I think the why we've been touching upon upon a little bit here in terms of because if you don't, you're left on the station. And it kind of speaks to the same thing. When is the train running? And of course, you would, you would want to put some more emphasis to this. What we've been doing there is to be very focused on, again, to get the right type of customers to step on that train, that they're the ones that are driving into the future, to really have those types of proof points that these customers that are the ones you're looking towards are doing it now. If you don't do it, you're in trouble kind of. And also getting um, uh, you know um, I, I remember in earlier days we were looking so much at compelling events, certain things that had to happen. otherwise we you know like you were mentioning a rebrand. That's a great compelling event. It remains a, a great compelling event, but also you want to put yourself in a position where you're not reliant on a compelling event. You, that's also why you want to get into a movement. This is happening. Others are doing it. And to, in my experience, that's actually been the strongest driver for urgency. Others are doing it, especially when you look at an enterprise, because risk plays such a big role. You know, uh, it sounds very simple, simplistic maybe, maybe. but what is the reason you get fired, for example, is for, it for, it for making mistakes You know, and uh, not making the right move in time, for example. If competitors are doing it, so it is uh, it is definitely a place to look for uh, to to again look at the movement and making sure if you're not on this train you're in trouble, you know that type of logic and of course that means something slightly different depending on the type of, of business that you're building, but I would actually uh, as a as a new startup and what I'm guiding the startups that I'm and I'm supporting as well is to really look for those things that get you beyond just the compelling event and into the movement instead. So maybe talking a bit about expansion, because I think
0: from my perspective, the original insight you had meant that you did very few pivots. Of course, you you, you did changes, but actually very few like big pivots in the beginning. You sort of knew exactly what your customer needed. You understood the movement, so you could position the value proposition to the customer that was almost like spot on from the beginning. I know that you adjusted many things along the way, but they were not strategic. They were more or less operational, how you did processes and how you did things. Um, but the future keeps moving. So now we are in the future. So you sort of, in order to stay competitive, I guess you need to continuously understand the next movement, or at least the movement two and three years uh, ahead, and, and keep yourself updated. And that's what I'm trying to describe in the book here, where original insight is not just about the initial understanding of the customer. But for two reasons, you need to keep understanding your customer or the movement and the movement that hits your customer, which is essentially the same thing here. Uh, you need to understand them in two dimensions. Of course, you need to keep yourself updated because now you're in this future and now someone else and you, Henrik and Christian, will look three years into the future and say, this is the future. So you need to be able to see those two and three years ahead constantly to sort of defend your, uh, your leadership. But at the same time, you're also expanding geographically. You're expanding to new uh, customer segments. Maybe it's not just enterprises anymore. It's consultancy companies and and so uh, on. Um, and maybe it's entirely new products for different people in the organization. So maybe you can speak a little bit about the transition you went through from selling your core product to your beachhead and then your first attempts at expanding outside the beachhead and how you either obtained or didn't obtain uh, insight that allowed you for this product market fit once again into the new customer segment? And how are you thinking about that today?
1: Yeah, first of all, you're right that we've not pivoted because actually we tested so well through our positioning originally. So we got out to the customers and we didn't even have product. Also, when we raised the first funds from VCs, we basically have, you know, just the story and the positioning story and 10 PowerPoint slides, that was actually pre-product. We did that, and it was because that was so strong. We were very clear and had very much confirmation on what that would look like um, in terms of uh, at least the type of value that we were uh, delivering and in which movement that we were doing it. That was extremely clear, so we didn't pivot uh, uh, you know, much originally. Later on, however, definitely what, what happened to us, like the first uh, use cases we were solving for were very... Um, horizontal use cases typically to hundreds of thousands of users within the same company from the get-go, but they were also very much focused on branding, as you say, compliance, uh, uh, information security, policy management, those types of things that were definitely mostly on the templating side of a document. And then we saw, well, there's an opportunity maybe to move further into the rest of the document where you have so much time saving on how you finalize proposals and quotes and all that story. And we thought that's obvious for us to take that route because there is so much value to be given to our customers and, of course, so much value for us to capture from that. And um, that's also where we, I would say, made a mistake on this piece of underestimating the type of knowledge that was necessary to actually do that type of thing. So it was not a pivot. It was more like an expansion into more things. But to get deep enough understanding of what that would require where well, we went from something where we were definitely world champions, and then we were jumping into something where you had a lot of competition. Like there's a, there are 500 companies that are doing proposal automation, for example. So we really, you know, had to, to do a few rounds before we figured out what does that mean? It, what is exactly, how do we differentiate? How are we different from the rest? What is it we come with? What is what is changing in this piece? How can we? How can we Piece things together as well, and what we found, uh, for example, was that the very strong suit we had on the whole compliance piece ended up being like a very strong differentiator. Actually, when we went into the more deeper, more, I would say, efficiency, productivity-oriented use cases, because we could blend them in a way where the the type of customers we needed to work with, uh, you know, that was just a, a very good match. But it took us a while to get there, to get close enough to that, uh, and we really learned from that. Also, the balance on As you iterate over new products and you go through the classical discovery process of listening to customers, what is you want, which for a long time we did very deep and because we had a good foundation and we used that a lot and it is a good way to go. But when you want to change something and you want to get into a movement, you really need to balance it out well because, again, if you ask customers too much, they're going to ask for a faster horse. Apologies for any customers listening to this, but that's the typical thing you get. And that's understandable because you know what you have and you're looking at, you know, how you can improve that immediately right now. So you really need to lift yourself above that to look at what is now changing. How are we different? How can we move this? What is going to be different in terms of also how you do like proposals, for example, in the future? And uh, one way that we're doing that very, very actively right now is actually obviously a new massive wave on AI, which affects obviously a lot if you're automating the way that business documents are being produced. That's an important thing. And we've spent time on figuring out what does that mean? It's a movement going on, but what does that mean for enterprises in the context of business document creation? What is the new gap that is opening up with this one? How is it that you bridge out the whole Yes, I would love to get to the 20x productivity, but please not with the risk type of thing. How do you fit into that piece and start blending those new capabilities that AI is bringing to the table in the exact right way to support our customers on this new movement that is then the next uh, next level of this? So, ultimately, it's also, I think, for both Henrik and I, to be quite honest, it's also what we are good at. That's the stage where we. So it's of, almost like going back right and starting a, a new startup in the, in the same not starting a new startup but they like rethinking the whole thing again right it's the same process as you're different in the beginning exactly and and super cognizant of of also where that runs out because when things get into a more stable state where you don't necessarily have to be so iterative and uh, or inventive you know there are other capabilities in your organization that are much stronger to lift things out so it's a it's about figuring out when to when to push what And uh, as you go through these bigger transitions, could be pivotings or it could be outside things that are happening like with AI right now, uh, outside things coming to your company, that's when you need those types of capabilities especially. You really need to think about what is this movement now? How do we differentiate? And how is it that we get close enough to something that is valuable for our customers in this new scenario, uh, except from pushing what we have today? I think that one of the things that founders often
0: underestimate when beginning is how often they will have to update this original insight. I I mean, I meet a lot of startup founders who basically pitch some kind of initial product to initial customer segment, and then they'll say, and after that, we'll go here, we'll do that, and we'll expand, and we'll go into these new markets, and we'll expand our product just like you did from template management into more document creation, right? Without really fully appreciating that that's a completely new, different domain. There are existing customers in that domain, there are existing expectations among among uh, customers. So it's not just expanding, neither geographically or customer segment-wise, up and downstream or whatever. There's so many dimensions for expansion. Could you talk a little bit about maybe some of the more, this was one, uh, one uh, area of, of change uh, and expansion, but are there other expansions that you did where lack of original insight or you had to obtain new insight really
1: help you or hindered your growth? Um, yeah, you were mentioning another another sort of direction you can take. There is one thing where there is new product you want to expand into new sort of product categories, expand into new product categories, uh, as I mentioned. The other one is then markets of, uh, of saying, well, why is this not replicatable to, to a different market? We definitely, did, but that that mistake as well, uh, for sure. Um, trying to like be a little bit too optimistic, I would say, in terms of how markets would react, because we were, you know, the, the the talk track we had around it was, well, Microsoft was kind enough to train the world on how to do business documents, and that's why it's so easy for us to go everywhere because they're all doing things the same way which was true to some extent, but still there was a very different reaction to when those waves would hit. Like just considering uh, Scandinavia or the Netherlands in terms of how they would adopt cloud back in the day compared to Germany. Extremely different, which of course has big influence in terms of how good is that story when you start speaking about movement. When is the timing actually right to do it? So it ended up that the story was... You know, not entirely wrong, but the timing has been wrong, you know, several times because we didn't understand enough about where customers were. They would have to be like at a significant step on the journey before they would buy into the type of story we would come with. And we just underestimated that, you know, several times uh, and and had to figure out, well, for that reason, we essentially need to time things a little bit differently uh, than, we, uh, than we first imagined. How do we most effectively obtain that clarity about
0: the readiness of different customer segments. How would you advise the startup founder
1: to do that? I would actually advise that it is the startup founder that goes out and have those discussions with those markets because, uh, in my opinion, it really starts very high level, some of these things. Uh, Going out to have like a very visionary story, for example, like we do right now with uh, what we do with AI, for example. It's important to do that uh, to figure out if how well it resonates, and you'll very quickly understand that in some markets it could be some industries as well, or in some markets that will resonate very well what you're doing because they are significantly advanced potentially of taking the direction that you're proposing. Of course, provided that is the right direction, and then with others it won't, and you would be you would you would get the sense that this is per- probably not the time. So the story is not necessarily wrong. But you also don't want to, you know, reposition yourself in that market for that reason. You would rather, in my opinion, just allocate the resources to where the market is sufficiently mature to get to the direction you know will happen eventually. And make sure you get there first. Because over time, the rest will typically, you know, come along. That's at least what we've seen every time we've done anything like that. Um, but uh, I think that's a good way to, to use yourself as a founder to go out there and test that on a, as a high strategic level as you possibly can with primary customers in those new markets that you're testing. Um, nobody else can probably do that better than you and you really have to take this kind of, uh, you know, regardless of where the ones that will deliver your product, this is kind of the movement we see for these reasons and what, what the benefits that we see others will get to. How do you look at that? Really go out and do some of that testing to figure out if, uh, if the markets you're approaching are are ultimately ready on that curve to, to jump on the train that you're suggesting. Do you think it's possible to create
0: sort of succession for that role in a startup? So many startups, at some point, the founder will have to move on. And obviously, history is full of once-inventive tech companies taken over by management. Uh, I, think, uh, I think it was Steve Jobs who once said, when salespeople take over, the company dies. Uh, but we, all, of course, also see startups that are still driven by the founders, of course, Meta, uh, c- coming as one example here, keep pushing innovation. But uh, do you think it's possible to create succession? Or is, it, is it something that inherently sits with founders, and that can happen as long as the founders are there and motivated, or can you actually embed that into culture? Is that something you're thinking about at Templify?
1: Thinking about it now, <laughs> when you ask the question, but uh, first of all, it, it's no, it's not something that needs to be in founders, but it is a capability you need to have. On the other, on the other hand, and oftentimes that sits with founders because otherwise they wouldn't have been able to lift anything off the ground in the first place, you know. So oftentimes you have that there. It doesn't mean that it doesn't sit with others, and I've seen uh, also in Templify and other companies, lots of people where I think these will be great founders at some point in time. And those are also the people that we promote to have these type of conversations uh, oftentimes as well. So um, I don't think it's something you definitely need a founder for or you need to founder-run companies. Ours is definitely not a founder-run company, but it is one of these areas where I support the business because it is one of the capabilities I have alongside with others that are definitely, you know, uh, doing the same things and and in, in some directions definitely much better than I'm able to. I think that perfectly leads me to my final
0: question. Here is something I want to talk about is you saying that you are looking for that when you are hiring uh, people with this founder mentality. I know that you're also angel investing a little bit. And me, of course, as a professional investor, I'm trying to look at, for people with original insight all the time. So have you found a good way to distinguish whether people have original insight to identify that? Are there some questions you use? or What
1: are the things you're looking for? Well, I think you coined it very well, to be honest with this. It's also new to me having it coined. But considering what I'm looking at when I when I meet new founders of the companies that I'm supporting or looking at people for certain roles in, the, in Templify, it is definitely one of those things that up until now have been sitting a little bit between the lines. What is that certain thing they have that I think is necessary for them to get things moving? And I've also seen when when I'm investing alongside professional investors from VCs and so on, that it is perhaps one of those areas where I have a slightly different view sometimes, or at least influence uh, uh, slightly differently towards these types of capabilities, rather than like classic metrics-driven uh, operational types of metrics that, of course, are extremely important. But I do think that that you know to get things off the ground and to avoid as you said, a lot of the pivoting that you oftentimes see, to be able to get into a place where you really can truly get to this positioning story that's extremely attractive, also for investors, and then built like a good business case around it is a combination that is definitely required. And for that reason, I do think this is a capability that is needed in companies and early stage, definitely with founders, for sure. Christian, it was a joy to have you on the show. Thank you for the discussion
0: and to you listeners and readers of The Insightful Startup. Thank you for buying the book and listening to the show. You can find more episodes on the website theinsightfulstartup.com and you can follow me on LinkedIn under the name David Today.